Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. It's great to be back with you. I do have to report that the, the announcement made last week that I had been arrested was a little bit exaggerated, uh, though you can see by this picture, I have uh, in the past uh, thrown some toilet paper, all right? Um, I have thrown some toilet paper and I have every once in a while participated in what would sometimes be considered as an act of, I don't know, um, Nuisance, maybe. Maybe that's the best word, right? Um, I have done that. Uh, do we have that picture, guys, or is it not um, available? I'm getting that hand wave that says no, so it's not available. Uh, I've tried to hide things from my past, and I was trying to bring that back, but it's best if that also just stays, just stays hidden. I appreciate all the prayers, by the way, for you, of you Georgia fans. I do. Uh, because you heard last week after Auburn had beaten Alabama that I'd been arrested for celebrating and you didn't want that to happen again and I just uh, want you to know I appreciate your prayers for your preacher and I appreciate all the red that's being worn today uh, though I am going to say that it's because of Christmas I think that's why everybody is dressed is dressed in that way you know all of us if we were to talk about our shared Christmas experience. We probably have different things that we could share when it comes to Christmas as an adult, but, but I bet for most of us, when it comes to our shared Christmas childhood experiences, well, they would be very similar because we could all talk about the anxiety of laying in bed at night and waiting, waiting for Christmas Day to come, counting down, marking days off the calendar, constantly asking our parents, when is it going to be? Is it almost Christmas? And I just want you to know, we are three weeks away, three weeks away, in three weeks it's going to be Christmas Eve. In three weeks, Christmas is going to be here. And you've got children who are here today that are like, oh, three weeks. And you've got adults who are here this morning going, oh, three weeks. Right? We, we, as adults, we think it all comes way too fast. And as children, we think it all goes way too slow. But we lie in bed and we wait with the confident assurance that Christmas is coming. See, at least when you're a child, you have the certainty of knowing that even though it seems to take forever, Christmas Day will finally arrive. It will get here. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you are seekers? Now, I'm not talking about in the religious sense. I'm talking about in the present sense. As in you go seeking for presents. As when you were a kid, how many of you, be honest, you went through the house looking for presents that might be, uh, look, we, man, look at all of these teens over here raising, all right, hey, you guys, 
y'all need to learn. You don't give yourself away like that. You, you don't, I mean, your parents are in here. Grandparents are watching. You, you're supposed to be here going, I've never searched for a present in my life, okay? Never know anything about that. Okay, okay, well, let me find out this. How many of you, okay, so you've sought after your presence. How many of you have ever found a present and opened it and played with it before Christmas? Anybody? Uh-huh. Oh, we got Sean over here. Yes. The, one of our leaders of our youth ministry. That's great. Um, thank the Lord we have Nikki. Um, Okay, well, let me see just how big of a rebel Sean is here. How many of you have ever sought for your present, found your present, played with your present, and then broken your present before Christmas? Sean? No? Anybody? Anybody? Whew. Oh, we got one. <laughs> oh, we'll pray for you after. In a few minutes, we're going to have, um, we're going to talk about having prayers. If you just want to come up and we'll just, <laughs> oh, we understand what it means to wait. And we understand what it means to have that anxiety build up and and want to do whatever we can to get the waiting over with. It's this waiting motif that hangs heavy over the page of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 1, the waiting, it just seems like is a wait as you open it up to begin to read. See, you might not realize this, but For every generation, there was a remnant of Jewish people who were waiting. A remnant of Jewish people who lived their lives, ordered their lives, structured their days in waiting for the Messiah. The chosen of God, the anointed of God, the one who had been prophesied, the one who was going to come. And you had this remnant who would wait and expect that this could be the day. This could be the day of Messiah. But unlike the certainty of our Christmas, even though they were faithful, and even though they strive to live righteously before God, nothing happened. They prayed, and they waited. And they prayed, and they grew old. And they prayed, and they died, and they never saw the Messiah of God. Many would walk away. I mean, why, why live your life for a myth? Why live your life for a promise that was told to you by your parents, that was told by their grandparents, that was told by their grandparents, that, that they, didn't even, they haven't even seen. Why should we order our lives and why should we live out all of our days in expectation? They prayed and they waited and they grew old and they died. But there was always a remnant. There was always a remnant who lived in patient expectation that this could be the day that the Messiah comes. Two of these individuals, two of these patiently waiting, are introduced to us in Luke chapter 1. If you haven't already, I encourage you to to open up 
the Scriptures and find the Gospel of Luke. It's in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. You might say, well, why is this so important? Why is it so important to talk about these two people today in this, in this, in this context of, of, of waiting and, and wondering if God is going to, to keep His promise or not? It's because their story, what you're going to see, is our story. Their story is going to be our story because there have been times, and if you haven't experienced this before, you will. There are these times where it comes upon you where you begin to say, you know what? I just don't know if it's worth it. I don't know if it's worth it to continue on day after day, ordering my life in a belief in a Savior, in a God, when it seems like He is quiet. When He seems like He is going through a season of aloofness in my life. I mean, why should I keep attending? And why should I keep serving? And why should I keep giving? And why should I keep obeying? Because it just seems like that it's an expectation that will never come to any type of fulfillment. It seems like that I'm doing this, but I'm just spinning my wheels, and I'm not getting anywhere, and I don't know, should I hold on or should I walk away? And it's in this context that we go to the waiting of Luke chapter 1. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Now what this means is that both both Zechariah and Elizabeth, their, their fathers and their grandfather and then the grandfather before them, that they were all priests. They were preacher's kids to make it more on, on our level, all right? These two were preacher's kids and their, their fathers were preacher's kids and their grandfathers were preacher's kids and their grandfather's grandfathers were, were preacher's kids. I mean, these were the ones that nobody else at church wanted to hang out with because well, you don't hang out with the preacher's kids, you know? Because they're the ones that's always getting in trouble because they're hanging out with the elders' kids. That's what it is. I mean, that's why it's happening. I just say that for the benefit of my own children. Notice what it says about them in verse 6. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Luke says these were two people who were doing it right. These were two people who were living it in the right way. Their walk was right. Their talk was right. They were righteous in the sight of God, observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. We don't even like to read through the Old Testament because of all the different laws that are given. And we get all stuck trying to figure out, well, how in the world were you supposed to live out this one? And it just seems like there's more and more and yet here were two people that if you sent someone around to follow them, Luke says, you know what? They couldn't find any dirt on them. They couldn't discover anything about them. Sure, they sinned, but when they sinned, they offered the proper sacrifice. They were in the temple. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing. They were righteous. And they were blameless. Living life based on a promise that for them was 2,000 years old. 
And at least for the last 700 years, their history did not show any activity of the God to whom they righteously and blamelessly followed. Nothing. And yet they lived their life as if it was almost Christmas. And how did it work out for them? Look at verse 7. But they were childless. They were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. Just reading that up there already hit some of you very personally. And while still today it is a very important, it's an important thing for a, for a woman to be able to have a child. During this particular time period, and I hate to say it, but women were thought to be not worth much more than just for having children. They didn't get an education. They weren't allowed to participate in the political process. There were restrictions placed upon them in all types of ways in their culture. And to read this where it says that they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, it was considered at that time that it was always the woman's fault. Didn't have the medical understanding that we do today. It was thought it was always the woman's fault. And even beyond that, there was some thought that, you know what, if a woman could not conceive, it was because she was being punished by God. She was being punished because of some sin, because of some unrighteousness. And yet here was Elizabeth who had lived righteously and who had lived blamelessly before God. And she was childless. And then it gets even worse because at the end of the verse it says, and they were both very old. They lived for God in their 20s. They lived for God in their 30s. They lived for God in their 40s, into their 50s. It continued year after year, decade after decade. And yet, for those who were around them, it appeared that God did not care. Didn't care. And yet, their entire life, their entire life was built still on a faithfulness to a promise that was given 2,000 years before they were even born to a man by the name of Abraham is a promise that we can still read about in Genesis chapter 12. And this is the conversation that went on between God and Abraham. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And he did that. We all probably have heard of Abraham before we even came in the room, right? He says, and you're going to be a blessing. And guess what? Those who bless you, I'm going to bless them. And those who curse you, well, well I'm going to, to curse them. And he said, and then all peoples of the earth are going to be blessed through you. And for the Jewish people, this was a promise that they held to generation after generation. 
looking forward to the day that all people would be blessed through the lineage of Abraham. Abraham would have a son who would have a son who would have many sons. And they would go to Egypt and they would grow there into a great nation. And they would then leave Egypt and go to what we have heard before called the promised land of Canaan. And there they would become a kingdom. And maybe this was going to be the time where finally the blessing that was promised through Abraham, this is when it's going to happen. And there was King David and the Jewish people waited to see if all the world, all peoples would be blessed. And there was the glorious time of King Solomon. Surely this was going to be the moment. But the blessing that they had waited for seemed was never coming. And then everything went off the rails. The kingdom divides. There are wars and constant battles. There are good kings and there are bad kings. And from the time of Solomon up until the time of Zechariah and Elizabeth, some 25 different times, the, the Israelites, these Jewish people, this This understanding of the people of God, they had been taken over by foreign powers 25 times. 25 times since Solomon, you had the Babylonians, and there were the Syrians, and there were the Greeks, and there were the Persians, and it seemed like every time you were turning around, Israel had an army today, then they didn't have an army. They go spend 70 years in captivity, then they come back to find that their town is in ruins, the city of Jerusalem. And it just seems like everything just continues to spiral out of control. And the the footprint that they would have on the world began to shrink and get smaller and smaller until finally they became just a little dusty outpost in the Roman Empire where no one wanted to go. If you were assigned by the Romans to go to Palestine, then you were being sent to the other end of the world, it was thought. How? How could they be a blessing? And then to add insult to injury in 65 BC, Pompey, the great general of Rome, walks into Jerusalem, takes the city again, goes to the temple walks past the temple guards, goes into the Holy of Holies where the Jews believed that the very presence of God was found and he walked in and he walked around, he walked out to the horror of the priest who saw what was taking place and nothing happened to him. The priest, the priest who believed that if he were to go into the Holy of Holies without being invited by God, if you were to go in other than the high priest going in one time a year to offer sacrifice for the people, that you would be struck down and you would be killed dead, watched as this Gentile, this Roman, walked into the most important place in the whole world, and God did nothing. And Zechariah was a young boy when that happened. And his father, and the father of Elizabeth, were most likely priests during this time. And maybe Zechariah saw his father come home and tear his robes and cry out in agony. Because the holiest of holies had been defiled by this Roman general. 
And word began to spread through Jerusalem. And the optics were clear. Jupiter, the god of the Romans, was more powerful than Yahweh, the god of Israel. And many Jews turned away. Many Jews integrated into Greek society and into Roman society. And many Jews decided that trying to be patient and trying to faithfully await the promise of God was just too much. But not Zechariah and not Elizabeth. Instead, they, instead they decide to live their life in service of this God. And Zechariah goes into the priesthood. And Zechariah and Elizabeth are married. And even though they are not blessed with any type of heir or offspring, there are no children, they still live righteously and blamelessly before the God that everyone else is looking around saying does not exist. And maybe if you or I had been there, we might have just gone up to them and said, you know what? It's over. Why, why, don't you just, why don't you just walk away from this life of service to this God and enjoy these latter years of your life, these retirement years, doing what you want to do, living how you want to live, because it's true that this God, if He even exists, doesn't care about you. And yet if we had voiced those words... We would have been so wrong. Because Luke begins the story of the good news with the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth because they were going to be used by God to fulfill a 2,000-year-old promise. So once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. There were 23 groups of priests and they would get together and, and they would cast these lots. They would enter into this game of chance, so to speak. And it was a huge blessing, once in a lifetime opportunity for the chance to fall on you and for you to be able to go and to serve in this way where you would walk up right to the veil of the Holy of Holies. You wouldn't go inside, but you would stand there as everyone else would vacate the premises and you would offer incense to God. It says, and when the time came to burn, the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. He's just being faithful. He is doing what he's been asked to do. And all of a sudden, he sees a sight that is amazing to him. And he's so fearful. And the angel of the Lord responds. And you need to see this in verse 13 because this is the typical response of an angel in the Bible. Whenever an angel shows up, he always responds by saying, do not be afraid. You know why he always starts off saying, do not be afraid? Because the people are always what? Afraid. 
Yeah, when an, whenever an angel of the Lord shows up, I mean, it is drop to your knee time. It is a fearful time. I hear people talk about, oh, I saw an angel in my dreams and it was just beautiful. I don't think it was a Bible angel. Mm -mm. You never see anybody in the Bible talking about, it was the most wonderful, calming moment. No, it was this fearful time where, where all of a sudden he's thinking about all, all the things that he's done in his life. I mean, this could be God for all he knows. And, and Zechariah, he's a righteous guy. Just think if it had been you. I mean, an angel shows up to you and you start, I've just got to confess. I've just got to tell you, Lord. I mean, I, I, I didn't mean to, and I promise I'll start tomorrow, and if you'll give me one more Sunday, I mean, I promise I'm going to be there, right there with that young woman that played with her Christmas gifts and broke them. I'm going to be on the front pew. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Now, wouldn't you like to hear that one day? I don't really want to hear it from an angel, maybe a cousin of an angel, but wouldn't you just like to hear your prayer's been heard? You don't have to be told your prayer's been answered. God, just let me know that you hear me. Just let me know that you hear me. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. And he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or any other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Why is he going to have to bring people back? Because for centuries now, people of the Hebrew faith had been turning and walking away because the God that they had waited on had been slow and he hadn't acted and he hadn't answered. And he said, we don't want to be a part of this. It must just be a myth. The angel says, John's going to bring him back. The message that he is going to share is going to bring them back to the presence of the Lord. It says he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, that's an Old Testament prophet, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is Messiah language. This is the language that the people of God have been waiting for for 2,000 years. And Zechariah asked the angel, And guys, I want you to notice he's very diplomatic here. How can I be sure of this? I am an old man. And my wife is, well, she's well along in years. I mean, he wasn't a dummy. He knew that this might be written down one day. He says, I, I think you're a little late. I mean, we, we were praying in our 20s, and we prayed for a child in our 30s, and we even stepped out there and we prayed for a child in our 40s. A prayer or two here in our 50s, 
But now, I'm old. And my wife, well, she's old too. And the angel said to him, I love this. I'm Gabriel. <laughs> he says, how do I know that this is going to happen? And you've got the angel of the Lord going, duh. This doesn't happen to you every day, does it, buddy? He goes, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. That's awesome. But I love verse 20. And now you'll be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their, say the words in yellow with me, appointed time. You, you mean God's got a timetable? You, you mean God has a certain day that's circled on his calendar when he is going to act in a certain way on behalf of a certain people? Yeah. You mean so, so all this waiting that's been being done and, and all of this agonizing and all this longing, it, it hasn't all been in vain. It hasn't just been something that's just been a part of a myth that God has actually had a plan this whole time and we've been a part of that plan and now we just need to wait just a little bit longer until the appointed time. You got it. That's it. The appointed time. The time when God says... Now it's best. But God, I wanted it best 20 years ago. But God, I needed it to be best last week. God, I, I really needed it to be best before the marriage fell apart. And I needed it to be best before the kids went to school. I needed it to be best before, before she passed. I needed it to be best then. It will happen at its appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he had stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. And when his time of service was completed, he returned home. And after his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, for five months she remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. She said, the Lord, the Lord has done this in these days. Right now. Right now in the time that I am living. Right now in the time that I am able to see. That my disgrace has been taken away. That others have thought that we were being righteous for no reason. We were obedient for no purpose. But in these days, my disgrace has been taken away. Little did she know. It was in those same days. That the disgrace of the world. Would be removed as well. 
at God's appointed time. And then we'll end this morning with where we will begin tonight. And I hope you'll come back to listen to our children complete the story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. You see, this is our story. This is our dilemma. Do we stay or do we go? Do we stay or do we go? Do we continue in righteous obedience even when those in our society say it's a myth? Do we continue in faithfulness even when others question why we would want to order our lives, to structure our marriages, to raise up our children in a way that honors a story from 2,000 years ago. Will we stay in the marriage? Will we maintain our integrity? Those nights when you're a college student and you're sitting there in your dorm room and you're thinking, you know what, I think I've just kept myself pure for nothing. I see everybody else going off and having a good time. I think I have just, I know, I've held on to this teaching of my parents and I know what my grandparents would want, but this is my life and I want to go and do my own thing because I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere. Every generation has a remnant of Christians who say, I will stay. I'll stay in the relationship. I'll stay anchored in my integrity. I will stay committed to the name of Jesus Christ. I will live my life in a way that honors God. The challenge for each of us, will we be a part of the remnant? Will we be that student? Will we be that couple? Will we be that employee? Will we be that person in the marketplace who says, I will take my stand on the story of Bethlehem? I will take my stand on the story of Jesus Christ. You see, Christmas is a reminder that your faith in God is not misplaced. Why do we encourage our children to tell the story of Bethlehem each December? Because we want them to live the story every day of their life. And we want them to grow into young men and women who understand that their faith that they have placed in God, the faith of their mothers and father, the, place, the, the faith of their grandparents, that faith has not been misplaced. Your hope 
and your faith is not in vain. That's the message that we want to share. And so we enjoy times like today in talking about Christmas. And we enjoy times of singing songs such as, Oh Holy Night. Maybe you listened to it on the way coming in. It was on a radio or a CD or an MP3 that you heard this morning. There's a line in the song that I thought it'd be fitting to end with. It says, Long lay the world in sin and error. And it uses a word that we don't use a lot anymore. It says pining. Pining means to wait. Pining means longing. Pining means, oh, will it ever get here? Pining means when is Christmas coming? How long can I stand it? And Christmas is a reminder that your waiting is not in vain. Because the God who promises always keeps his promise. It's almost Christmas. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for people like Zachariah and Elizabeth who in righteous faithfulness in patient expectation, devoted themselves to you even though it seemed that there was no logical reason to do so. And we rejoice with them all these centuries later because of the gift that they received in John. And we rejoice because of the message that he would carry and the way in which he would prepare people for the coming of the Messiah. It is that Messiah that has brought us here today. It is because of that Messiah that we have a bond, no matter the language that we speak or the country that we come from. It is that Messiah that, that holds us together, no matter the color of our skin, no matter the background of our family. It is that Messiah that we have confessed our faith in, and it is in that Messiah that we have been washed in his blood it is that Messiah that we hold to on this day. And we look forward to the promise of his return at your appointed time. Until then, may we be found faithful and righteous, clothed in the Messiah of Christ. Amen. Maybe you do need to come this morning, not because you opened up some Christmas present years ago or yesterday, but because you need to give your life to the Messiah of Bethlehem. It is the appointed time for you. It is today that is the day where you receive the redemption of God. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're willing to be baptized into Christ, having those sins washed away. We want to rejoice with you if that be your desire today. Or maybe you, like some of those Jews from long ago, have just been saying, why and when and how, Lord, and your faithfulness and obedience has not been what you desire for it to be. Can we pray for strength for you this morning? 
Whatever your need might be, we encourage you to come, run, don't walk. It's almost Christmas as we stand and sing.